We are very blessed this morning to have, um, I, you don't even need an introduction, do you? Um, Dr. Harold Lane is our pastor emeritus. He was pastor here for, I want to say 17 years. That's right. 17 years. He baptized me in this little baptistry here 26 years ago or something like that. Whatever he married say, me yeah. and um, he's just a wonderful blessing to this church and we are very privileged to have him bring the word this morning. Pastor Lane. Thank you. 26 years ago, Ted? Great guns. I turned 40 this week. You turned 40? Oh, man. That's too much. (laughs) Well, bless your heart. Not only Ted, but his two sisters I had the joy of baptizing and performing a few weddings and all that good part of being a pastor here. I had planned to be here anyway today because Pastor Steve had asked me, if I would be the one who would charge and invite those of you who have been married for any length of time to come and repeat your vows. Unfortunately, this is his wedding anniversary, I believe, so you may want to send him flowers, or perhaps you better send it to Joyce, now that I think of it. Uh, candy, whatever, would be just fine. Father and Mother's Anniversary. Fabulous, fabulous. Danny, is it your anniversary too? Yeah, back. Wow. You know, knowing that that was going to happen, I looked up a recipe for the perfect marriage. This is by Red Skelton, so you will understand a little bit about this. He says... This is, there are a whole list of things that are a part of his recipe, but I'm only going to pick out about four. He says, two times a week we go to a nice restaurant. We have a little beverage, good food, and companionship. She goes on Tuesdays and I go on Fridays. (laughs) We always hold hands. If I let go, she shops. I married Miss Wright. I just didn't know her first name was always. The last fight was my fault, though. My wife asked, what's on the TV? I said, dust. Wow. Well, anyway, so much for the perfect marriage, which I presume all of you who are married are enjoying. I trust that you are, and that uh, God's blessing is upon you as you continue to know and serve him. Today I want to bring you a message from God's Word. I was delighted the chorus, I've heard that chorus, but it fits right in with what we're dealing with here today. When is a person a failure? This message I would like to address to those of you who feel, if not all the time, at least occasionally, that you've never been anywhere, never amounted to anything, never done anything, those who wonder whether or not living has made any particular difference, and you begin to think about that, those who, uh, whose reserves for self-confidence have been drained. And you think and wonder, and I'm sure that all of us at one time or another probably have felt like, you know, I've failed. I haven't really done all that God has expected of me. I know what he expects. I heard it from the book of Malachi. What God? What does God ask? Well, the scripture tells us very clearly. 
He showed you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Bernard Baruch, as you perhaps would have known when he was 32, he had made from scratch, and at this point in time when he's talking about this, he had uh, gained over $3 million. That was a lot of money back in those days. I guess it still is for many. He looked at his life and he wondered if he was in the wrong career, if he was doing the wrong thing. He was wondering. He had serious misgivings about whether he should change what he was doing because he felt like he had failed, even though he had gained all this money. When is a person, when is a man, when is a woman a failure? How do you equate this? How do you put it in perspective when you think in terms of, have I achieved, have I done all that God wanted from me? Have I been willing to say with my life, with my words, with who I am and what I do, that this has been for God and I can stand before him and I can be happy and say, Lord, this I did for you and I hope that you feel that it was good enough. Most of us within our own minds and hearts would have to say, well, I'm not so sure I can tell God that I've been successful. But I want to tell you at least four things that I think we need to look at when we think in terms of this particular scripture. When is a person of failure? I believe that failure comes when a person quits trying. Think about that. When you quit trying, you can have failures without being a failure. You can have a failure in finance. You can have it in your social life, in athletics, and whatever. It's the individual who throws in the sponge and just says, it's not worth it, I'm going to quit. Bernard of Clairvaux, a great patriarch of the church, used to have written on the wall of his study, Bernard, why are you here? What an interesting question to ask oneself each day that one might live. Why am I here? What is my reason for being? What do I have to offer? And to back away from that and to quit trying is a disaster. And that's failure to quit trying. I had a friend who told me about a dog who had wandered into his backyard one day. It was a tired-looking dog. He had a collar on and his belly, and he knew he was well-fed, so he had a home. He knew he had a home, but this dog wandered into his backyard, and as he went into the house, the dog followed him. He went over and put his little carcass in a corner took a nap. Well, the interesting thing about this is that this dog did this for two weeks. He'd come, he'd follow the man into his house, go over into the corner, lie down, take a nap, get up, and about an hour later leave. For two weeks this happened. The same dog, collar on him, well fed, looked like he had a home. So, this man said, the only thing I could think of is I'll write a note. And he wrote a note, and my friend says, the note was this, every afternoon your dog comes to my house and takes a one-hour nap. Sure enough, the next day, the dog was back and arrived, but he had a different note on his collar, and, and it read this. He lives in a home with ten children. He's just trying to catch up on his sleep. 
This dog didn't quit trying. Just because there were ten kids that kept him awake, he would find a way to get some help. I want to suggest to you that God has required of us that we keep on keeping on. One of the words that in my mind is, I think, poignant is the word stick to The willingness to hang in there, to give it your best, even if you have failed along the line, even if you've tripped and stumbled and things didn't go the way you wanted them to go, but you're saying in your mind, okay, I didn't make it this time, but I'm going to at least stay with it. And God says that as you make that kind of effort, there will be times when you look to God that that which seems so dark and so dismal and gloomy in your heart in the way in which you have approached an issue, that God's going to bring a light into your heart and into your mind, and you're going to say, I'm going to do it again. I don't know whether any of you have ever been a teacher in the primary department. That's a great, great career. It's a tough one. And through the years, I've been a pastor over some 50 years now, I look to the people who work with the kids, the little kids, and I think they must be wonderful. There must be something in their character. God must have put steel in their spine to be able to take all of the things that go on from kids and what they put up with and still stay with it and still say, by God's grace, this is my ministry. I will work. I will teach. And then when those children grow older, to be able to have them perhaps come back and say, I remember you, Miss So-and-so. Mr. So-and-so, you taught me this. Then you can begin to see what you thought was a failure was not a failure at all. But it would have been a failure for you to say, I'm quitting this job. Let somebody else work with these rag ruts. I am not going to be a part of this. It seems to me that to quit trying, to throw in the sponge, to say it's not worth it, is in time a failure. And I wouldn't like for you nor me to say it's time to quit. I thought when I retired from this church in 1994, you know that's 14 years ago. Hard for me to think that because it's the same setting pretty much. Some of you have the same faces. They've, they've drooped a little bit. <laughs> the waistlines have expanded and the hairlines have gone back. But, you know, you're still here. You're hanging in. And I'm thinking, God bless them. That's tremendous. That's wonderful. Chappie told me he's 80 this year. I can remember him coming down that aisle every Sunday. And I'm thinking, God bless that man. And all of these men and women who have served God so effectively. What a wonderful thing. There was a custom of one Indian tribe that before a boy could really be initiated into his tribe, he had to kill a bear. And so one lad who was just approaching 12 years of age, he knew it was his calling and that he would have to take on a bear. And he wasn't too happy about it, but he knew if he wanted to be a member of this tribe to prove his honor, his bravery, he would have to kill a bear. A little over 12 years old, he takes his bow and his arrow and he walks along looking for this animal and all of a sudden a huge bear lumbers across the path. And he's nervous and he's shaking 
and he picks up his bow and his arrow, and he's very worried. But what he doesn't know is that in the bushes behind him is his father with a bow and arrow ready. If there's any problem going to be with this bear, that dad is going to protect his son. I thought about that story, and I thought, how like the Christian life this really is. Whatever the obstacle, whatever the burden, whatever the trouble, is it poor health? Is it failing finances? How wonderful it is to know that when I have placed my trust in a living God, and when I've said to the Lord Jesus, I believe in what you've done for me, I accept you as my Savior, my Lord, and I know that when I walk day by day, he said, I'll not leave you. I'll be with you, whatever the cost may be. And to know that when that bear, whatever it is, you're not facing it by yourself. But if you quit trying, how sad indeed. And so a failure here, according to the scripture, is a person is a failure when he quits trying. Let me add to this formula something else. A person is a failure a failure when he quits trusting. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your path, so says Proverbs. A beautiful passage. And in this particular thought, when a person quits trusting, he's lost the game already. He's a loser. He's a failure. If he quits trying and if he quits trusting, It seems to me that each and every one of us have opportunities. I read of an actress recently, one of the talented actresses of our generation, and this this is what they said about her. She can be as good as she wants to be, but she's not among the dedicated. Challenged by a new medium, she can rise to spectacular heights, but she has no capacity for sustained effort. In a word, She doesn't care. It seems to me, then, as I look at this whole issue, that an individual, when he quits trusting, something really happens. What does God require? Let me read it for you again. He's shown to you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. What does that mean? Honestly, with integrity. One above reproach. And to love mercy, to think about others, to be concerned. Joanne mentioned to us this morning about the earthquakes. How sad indeed when you see on TV what happened because of those earthquakes in China. And what's taking place in Myanmar when even aid is having trouble to get in because of the military junta that controls everything and wants the names of their generals printed on all of the food gifts and everything so no one would mistake their importance in their life. Sad and sad indeed. I look at this passage and I think how important it is to trust. Did you know that you're not required to be a big booming success? Nobody, nobody said that you had to be a success. God didn't say that. We're not required to accomplish as much as our friends. You look around and you say, wow, I wish I could be like so-and-so. I wish I could do math like Ted Sito. I don't wish that, but maybe you do. (laughs) Math is all right for him. Some of the rest of us, 
We made it through without somehow. Well, the point is, God is not saying to you and me that we have to be a great success or that we are required to accomplish as much as our friends. He doesn't even require that we rear our children to be exceptional or even average. He doesn't require that. He requires that you and I as believers in Christ, that we not only don't fall into the area of quitting trying, but that we learn not to quit trusting, to trust God. What does it mean to trust? Before I came to this church, I was pastor of First Baptist Church of Indianapolis, Indiana. Great church, 40 acres. They had all we had over 5,000 kids running around in the in the athletic program. But I can remember as I look back on that whole whole setting that many of the people there were going up the ladder. They were on their way. They had found need to grow. Young executives. And all. And I could see some who were vying and competing, really competing within the life of the church even. And so I set up a program where I picked 12 of the most promising young men I could find. 12, that's biblical, you know. So I I picked 12 of them. And I tried various things with them. I tried Bible study. I tried witnessing. I sought all kinds of ways to draw from them, because in my mind I thought, if I can train these 12 with God's help, we can have a stronger church because we can infiltrate every board and commission with people who know what it means to love God. And so one day we did a, a, a trust walk. I don't know if they've ever been on a trust walk or not. You blindfold one of the persons, and another person has uh, full sight, and he leads that person who is blindfolded in some very unusual places, up and down stairs, around and so forth. And you have to trust the person who's leading you that he won't lead you astray. And at the very end, you let them just drop back into the arms of the person who has been the one they're trusting. And if that trustworthy person should back off and let that person hit the floor, then the whole thing has been lost because what it's built upon is being willing to trust someone else. And I'm suggesting to you that If I have failed to trust God in all of the vicissitudes of life and all of the challenges and all of the trials, if I have quit trusting that he can take me through, I'm a failure, and so are you. If I quit trying, if I quit trusting, I think it could be said, I've failed. I've failed. The story is told of a group that went to San Diego. Beautiful place, San Diego. They have down there, as you know, that very wonderful animal world sort of thing. And uh, Sea World. Well, a whole group of people went to Sea World. Uh, and with them was a young lad. He was nine years old, as I understand. And they went into the, into all of the opportunities that were there to see the wonders of nature and of animals, etc. And they came to a great basin where there was the orca, the whale. And he was doing all of his gyrations. The little boy looked down into that basin, and he said to his dad, Dad, if I should fall into that pool with that whale, would you dive in after me and get me out of there? 
Well, not only the dad, but the 20 others would have done, every one of them would have gone in after the child. But the dad says, no, I go back to the ticket salesman and get my money back. (laughs) You think he would have done that? Absolutely not. He would have been the first one in the pond, but he just shaking up his little boy. But I wonder what that little boy thought. Does dad not care? Is there some reason behind all of this that he wouldn't care about me? The scripture says about our Lord Jesus Christ, casting all your care upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. He knows every name. He knows you by name. He knows you by inflection of voice. He knows everything about you. Several years ago, I had a phone call. A phone call from a person that I hadn't heard from in over 50 years. And as soon as that voice reached my ear, I knew without him identifying himself, that that was my roommate in college 50 years ago. I knew the inflection of the voice, though I hadn't heard it in many, many years. And I thought about that, and I thought, I wonder if God really recognizes at all times who I am when I lift my voice to him. He knows. He cares. He understands about you. And if I quit trusting him and saying, well, he doesn't care... He really isn't involved in this. I'm going to miss the joy of that oneness that comes from trusting implicitly in the name of the one who has given me salvation and grace, the Lord Christ. What a wonderful thing. Does anyone care? When I quit caring, and when I quit trusting, and when I quit trying... That's when I fail. I'm a failure. Not so if, in fact, I've placed my trust. I'm going to keep trying. I'll keep on caring, caring for other people, caring for my relationship with God. And if I've failed to care, I've failed. I had a good friend, he's passed on now, Dr. Gordon Schrader. He was pastor at Redford Baptist Church in Michigan, Redford, Michigan. He told a story, and I heard and I thought about it, I thought, yeah, that's it. The story goes this way, a little boy was out playing by a small lake, a pond almost, and he had a beautiful little boat, a little toy boat. And he had a string on the boat, and a gust of wind came and pulled the string from his hand, and the boat went out beyond where it could be reached. There was a bigger boy there, and he started throwing rocks in the direction of the boat. And the little boy cried the louder. But what he didn't notice was that this bigger boy throwing the rocks was throwing the rocks beyond the boat. And the idea was that those rocks, as they would hit the water, would make a ripple. And the ripple would pull the boat back closer and closer and closer to shore. He was making sure that the little boy got his boat back. I wonder what we do when rocks begin to be thrown at us. Could they be potential help? 
Could they in our lives say, well, even in through those vicissitudes, there was the possibility of growing closer and closer to the shore, coming closer to God's requirement, understanding more implicitly what God has in mind for me and for my life. What a wonderful thing. I'm a failure when I quit trying. I'm a failure when I quit trusting. I'm a failure when I quit caring. And I want to suggest to you a fourth in this formula, a formula that helps us to avoid being failures. And that fourth one is, I'm a failure when I quit sharing. If I'm only considered in, considering myself, I read here, what does the Lord require of you? Well, he doesn't ask that I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Is he pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? And then he says, this prophet of old, this Micah who understands life, and understands all that it's a part. He says, no, this is what God requires. He's shown you this already. This is what he asks, that you ask, act justly, that you love mercy, and that you walk humbly with the Lord. What is mercy anyway? Mercy indeed is that part of us that cares about other people and reaches out, not just mentally, but physically and openly. You've just gone through what I understand was a very successful fundraising activity. I'm always, Tom, you remember all those things. You used to be the chair of that. I don't know if you still are or not, but anyway, raising money. Why do you raise money anyway? Now, Steve didn't ask me to raise any money, thank God, but... Uh, he said, just preach the word, be all right, whatever you say, they'll, they'll handle it for one Sunday anyway. It seems to me, when I think about all of this, I think about the pastor, who when he looked at the roof, by the way, you better look at the roof quite often, that, that's a big expense, and you may be hearing about it soon. At any rate, the roof cost more than... They had raised in the church. And Paul, believe it or not, the organist wasn't able to come that Sunday, and so they had a substitute organist. And the preacher didn't like that very much because he wanted everything to be just right when he asked for the money. So at the conclusion of the message, he says, Friends, I have some bad news to give to you. And he'd already said to this organist, Play something appropriate so it'll ease their minds when I ask for the money. And he said, you know, our roof is in bad repair, and what I would like to do is I would like to have all of you who could pledge $100 over and above what you've already committed, I'd like for you to stand. And at that moment, the substitute organist organist played the Star Spangled Banner. (laughs) Well, that was sort of a forced sharing issue. But I suggest to you that there are times in which sharing is not money. Sharing is time. 
commitment, love, ability. And so as I look at this passage, I think that you are not a failure if you continue in your life to care. There is a need. If you fail to share, then you fail. It's easy to think that our efforts won't make any difference, but they do. When you tell somebody you're going to pray for them, do you really pray for them? I've been very cautious about that. I've been cautious when I say to somebody, I'm going to pray for you, that I do it. If I don't, I'm not really sharing what God has given me, an ability to talk to God in behalf of friends and others. But the beauty of it is that this God to whom I pray, prompted by the Holy Spirit and through the mediator, Jesus himself, who translates and makes it just exactly what it ought to be, there is power. I was in Madrid several years ago, and a pastor friend there asked me to preach in his church, and I said, well, you know, I don't speak Spanish. And he said, well, I'll translate for you. And I recall preaching, boy, I really laid it on. But what was interesting to me was, it seemed to me he was taking an awful lot longer to say what I was saying. So after the service, I said, J.C., his name was J.C. Goldson. I said, J.C., uh, you know, it seems to me that what I've said wouldn't take that long to say. He smiled and he said, well, Hal, he said, uh, I knew what you meant and I knew what they needed, so I embroidered a little bit on your message. <laughs> Sometimes God has to take our prayers and he has to translate them, or at least the Spirit translates them through the mediator who presents them to the giver of all good gifts. And it is to him that the prayers have come through properly, even though I haven't known how to do it just exactly right. When is a person a failure? I fail when I quit trying. I fail when I quit trusting. I fail when I quit caring. I fail when I quit sharing. You're not a failure. Hang in there. Give it your best. Trust the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we ask for your guidance. We ask for your strength. Help us not to give in to all of the pressures, the trials, the tribulations that will come to each of us from time to time. May our eyes be fixed upon you, upon the goal of serving, trusting, loving, giving, sharing. We pray, Lord, that you would bless in this congregation. Be with the pastor and be with his wife during these very eventful and anxious moments. May they feel your presence, know your power, and be blessed. Be with this congregation as it seeks to serve you. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.